Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I dreamed a dream of days to come where sponsorship is high and money is forthcoming. That's beautiful, Kevin. I really added a voice onto that one, too. <laughs> I really was trying to go for something there. Listeners, we love creating this podcast, but it does cost money. Please don't make me sell my Angel record. Oh, my gosh. The original cast recording of Angel. That, like, nobody has. Nobody has it. If you like what we are doing and want us to keep doing more of it, please Head over to Patreon.com. What? That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Pat-reon. I feel, like <laughs> oh, Pat-reon. Yeah, Pat-reon. 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 Yeah, and once you're there, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends. And of course, we don't expect to give without receiving some great rewards. Such rewards include behind-the-scenes videos, shout-outs on future episodes, Ooh. or episodes, depending on what part of the country you're from, because <laughs> I said episodes, and early access to some of our podcasts. Hell, for the right price, Kevin and I will come to your apartment and act out all of Agnes of God. <laughs> yeah. So head over, friends, to P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com to help us out. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast Plus. You can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. In the European theater scene, it is quite common for designers to create both set and costumes for a production, or even design the set for one show, and then only design costumes on their next project. Rare in the Broadway community, there are only a few designers who migrate back and forth, and today's guest is one of those individuals. His credits include Six Degrees of Separation, Sun in the Park with George, In Transit, which we all this past season, thank yes. you very much, Eclipse, and the list goes on and on. For this work, he has received, oh my gosh, listen to this, an Obie Award for Sustained Excellence in Design, three Lucille Lortel Awards, and six nominations, two American Theatre Wing Henry Hughes Awards, and eight nominations, TDF, the Irene Sheriff Young Master Award, the Helen Hayes Award, the Craig Noel Award, boy, Clint, your shelf is pretty packed, two Drama Desk nominations, and a Tony Award for Best Costume Design of a Play, in which he was the first person of color to win in his category. Here is a designer whose work will never be eclipsed, Get it? I'll be here all week, folks. Oh, Tony Award winner, Clint Ramos. Clint, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. That was amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> that award shelf is out of control. Oh, honey. We're trying. <laughs> we're trying. We're just trying to pay the rent. <laughs> I think we're all in that same world. We're all in that same world. So now, Clint brought up a really interesting point before we, we began this, which is uh, he's pretty young for most of our guests. I mean, pretty much anyone under 60 is kind of young for our guests. So we're, we're excited by this. But, but Kevin said what? You wanted to catch him early? Yeah, yeah. We got to catch him early. Yeah, so we can... And then we're going to check in with Clint yeah, 40 like... years from now. Legends all over the place. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Philippines. I grew up in a, a small island called Cebu in the Philippines. Um, uh, it's in the south. It's where the Spaniards landed. It's actually where Magellan died. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I grew I was born and raised there. And, um, and um, yeah, I'm, I didn't move to the States until I was 19. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Now, what did, what did mom and dad do? Uh, mom was uh, is an attorney, and dad was a businessman. Uh, now, now, I hear the Philippines has a pretty thriving theater scene, or it's, it's developing a thriving theater scene. Is that correct? Yeah, it ha- it's always had um, a uh, theater tradition, you know, indigenously, mm-hmm. uh, um, and then. Um, and then with the uh, with uh, Catholicism coming in, um, new theater forms uh, arose. You know, I mean, you can really consider the Mass as one uh, as one sort of show. You know, um, the Catholic Mass. And then um, <laughs> in, the, in the 20th century, I think you know a lot of it was influenced by America because we were uh, an American colony right. up until the 19, the late 1940s. So a lot of like vaudeville. Uh, a lot of those early Broadway traditions um, were brought in, you know, um, into the country. Do you remember the first uh, theatrical production you ever saw? It was Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, there was like there was like a touring company of Oliver that had come to the city where I lived in, and uh-huh. um, 
and yeah, no, it was. I, I remember it very well. It was. It was. It was. It was unbelievable. You know, it was. It was. I was. I was just like enthralled. You know, I think I was like eight or like <laughs> seven or eight, something like that. Did Did you ever want to be a performer? I did very early on. I think you know. I. I. I uh, um, well, my background is really. Uh, you know, when I started getting into the theater and really, um, sort of. You know, I think forming that that addiction was um, through <laughs> political theater. Um, and, uh, and, um, and I performed a lot, like, in the streets, you know. And I was young. It was, I was, like, a, a freshman or sophomore in high school. But, like, the, the country had been, I mean, and, and, you know, if you're familiar with the Philippines, it goes mm-hmm. through, you know, sort of these, like, hills and valleys of political turmoil. Right. Um, uh, at that time, it was during the Marcuses, you know, oh. who was this, yeah, who was this sort of like despot who ruled the Philippines for 20 years. Um, and uh, that was towards the end of that regime. And we were doing a lot of like street theater. I was involved in a lot of street theater, which is basically like street uh, theater to, um, to, to sort of mobilize the masses, you know. And, and these were the short allegorical pieces because they couldn't be really obvious. And, and all of them were anti-establishment, uh, anti-government. And, you know, we would perform in, like, the business districts. We would do it, like, for, like do a piece for, like, five or seven minutes and then disperse before the cops got there. Are you, I, my jaw is on the floor right now, Clint. I, I had no idea something like that even existed, to be honest, in my ignorance. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it was like that sort of like what really got me hooked, you know, because it was, <sighs> it was about protest. It was about like, it, in terms of instant gratification, that was sort of, um, it, was, it was the penultimate because, uh, you know, you saw people like really enthralled. Oh, it was making it. a difference, yeah. Yeah, and, and also, you know, there was a sense of danger to it, you know, that was like really, you know, as a young kid, you're like, oh my God, you yeah. know, like, uh, um, and because uh, we would have to do these pieces, uh, like seven, five to seven minute pieces, you know, we would gather the, the people and then like, it's almost like a flash mob, like just do it really quickly and then disperse, you know, because... Uh, the, the cops would come and arrest you for any other, for any in, any reason, you know, just illegal, like, assembly or anything like that. You know? That's... How old were you when you were doing this? Oh, uh, 13. <laughs> so you were a 13-year-old boy going out on the streets performing these political pieces, and if you were caught, you would be thrown in jail. Yes, Yes, I hope my mother doesn't hear this because I mean she 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 knew she knew you know because like there was like this huge not huge there was a picture of me during the revolution the eighty six revolution, um, uh, and and you know I was like this young chubby kid with like this like protest flag and on top of on top of like a tank and my mother was like wait a minute is that you I'm like yeah. I, it was, I was sent away for school um, after elementary school. I was sent away to Manila, you know. So basically, that's an hour plane ride away. Like it's, it's like several right. islands away, right? And so she had no idea what was happening, you know. When I first got there to 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 the school, to this to this boarding school, you know, I had a drama teacher who like really influenced a lot of. Um, my early like theatrical sort of addiction and was like hey do you want to come you know and then I was like yeah sure I guess you know I mean, ne- never even thinking like oh my god maybe you should ask permission from my parents or something like that. you know what I mean I was just like it was <laughs> I just went it was like Pied Piper <laughs> you're an independent spirit Clint you're an independent spirit this is this this is this has blown my mind okay so when did you start to develop an eye for design and and I, I this might be a chicken or the egg question. Was it you more interested in costume design or set design first? How did all of that come about? Oh gosh, you know I have to like whenever people start to ask me that, I have to like really go like way back. I had always been, I think, um, like any sort of like young gay boy, always been fascinated with like how my mother dressed herself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, I think... Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah, I really? remember yeah. my mother was like quite a fashion play, you know, during that when I was growing up, and um, and she, you know, she comes from a very uh, uh, artistic family. We had, uh, you know, I had like uncles and grand great grand uncles who were composers and and dramatists and 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 visual and, and painters, and so uh, uh, she, you know, she exposes ch- her children to the arts very early on. But like, I think I was always fascinated at the idea that she would put on something and it would sort of affect the way people saw her, oh. right? Mm. And so, like, I'd be, like, like this kid of, like, I don't know, five or six, and she would be dressing up in her dressing room. And that was, like, a ritual for her. She would put her makeup on and, like, you know, but whatever party she was going to, she would, like, put, a, 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 you know, the false eyelashes, the, like, every, <laughs> everything, the, the, the dress. And I'd be like, look at you, you know? Like, <laughs> just, like, enthralled by it. And, you right. know, there was something about just, like, putting on that character, you know, uh, um, that, like, kind of, like, made me fall in love with, like, contextualizing oneself into mm. an environment, you know? And I think I think that's sort of, like, the early subconscious part, you know? But, like, really, I got fascinated with it, like, in college in the Philippines. I had, um, uh, uh, I was a double major in art and theater, and, and uh, I originally wanted to be a director, and I knew that that wasn't sort of the, the path for me because I... I was awkward. I wasn't quite social enough, you know. I mm-hmm. didn't. I didn't really know how to relate to people, let alone tell them what to do on stage. And uh, um, but I found that design, I can sort of do part of that theatrical process by myself, you know, and then sort of share it. Um, uh, uh, and so it was sort of uh, uh, solitary and social at the same time. And so, and, and so I just fell in love with it. And then I eventually just really, really fell in love with the idea of it, that I can, you know, create this, what the world looked like and sort of create what the, what the inhabitants of that world would also look like. You know? mm-hmm. So why the move then at 19 years old from the Philippines to the United States? Uh, grad school. <laughs> ah, that's a great answer. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, grad school at 19? Yeah, we go in. I mean, we start college in the Philippines very early. We're out of high school at 16, you know, and if you're accelerated mm-hmm. by a year, you can get out of like college at 19. So, okay. You, Damn. You, our jaws are on the floor. So you, you are going to graduate school where? Uh, at uh, Tisch School for the Arts, yeah. At 19 years old. You're moving well, to I, New York City. I, I, I moved to New York and, and sort of bummed around for about a year and a half. Worked at La Mama as a, like, as a, as a prop person. Like, you know what I mean? Like a, well, yeah. So you, you came to New York fully intending to get into the arts. Oh, yeah. No, I had, I had, you know, I came in a tourist visa, but I knew I was going to somehow transform that visa into something... Uh, legal, <laughs> right, uh, right. That I would be either a student or a working. You know what I mean? Like I think, yeah, that of course. Was, like I, I knew uh, 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 as much as I loved all of my colleagues there. I knew that I, there was some, there was so much more to learn in terms of of theater and the performing arts. And I, you know, I, I was sort of like I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to move. I, I wanted to move to either London uh, or New York. I, I wanted to be uh, sort of in a cultural center of of, of the western world you know um, and and did you know that you wanted to focus on theater or musical theater or in, you know that umbrella of theater and did you know that you were going to focus on design at this point yes i knew okay. i wanted to focus on design i didn't know uh i, I wanted to be uh, uh a designer for the theater or opera or musical theater you know? yes that's sort of uh, I, I i i was that focused already coming out of coming out of college at 19 um and i uh came to the states uh did you know anyone in new york no (laughs) i didn't um i mean i sought out people you know i uh you know at that time and this was in the mid 90s uh, you know that uh, you you wrote people (laughs) yeah Uh, you you cold called people or you like waited you've figured out like where they lived and you sort of waited at the lobby you know (laughs) you stalked them is what you're you're saying there was no google right like there was no google right no totally you sort of like read as much and you know i'd always been because i had already like decided this was the path that i wanted i knew uh, i had an idea who people were who the designers were you know um uh the and and so and the theaters uh uh, you know, around New York, like I, I wanted to, like 
work at La Mama, and so I went there and I said, hey, you know, can I do anything? And you know, started doing like paper mache stuff for uh, <laughs> for 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 them, and you know, it was like, and then you just kind of like uh, meet the people uh, that you sort of align with. You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, you, I think one of the things that's great about the theater is that it's an instant community. You know, I don't, I don't remember any. Um, I I think it's it's probably I would say the most inclusive community. Uh, you know, I don't uh, I don't remember being ever turned away. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, totally. I mean, yeah. You know, you walk in there and they're like, hey, "Is there anything I can do?" And they're like, "Yeah." You know, uh, and then you develop friends, and you know, people always open. Uh, their hearts and you know their homes to you and you know it was yeah. it was it was wonderful did you have any day jobs uh before you had to you know you were working in the arts did you temp or anything fun like that uh well no i actually like i well uh no but i did do have a lot of day jobs after grad school you know because i couldn't really uh, you know the the, the the i i didn't have enough work to like sustain me I you know it wasn't like now there's a string of work that sort of one ends and you know the other Mm -hmm. starts uh uh, work was sort of few and far between and so um uh I waited on tables (laughs) I I did a lot of like you know like and while I was going to grad school I had like some part-time jobs I worked uh, part-time at a shoe store on Madison Avenue. Um, I, uh, I, I, in the summertime, I would intern or work at a costume and prop shop uh, in New York City, there were, like Parsons Mears or the Skiodos building. Like, you know, one of my jobs was building, like, molding the latex hoods on the original Beauty and the Beast. That was one of my summer Ooh, like, <laughs> my That's summer cool. Jobs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, because uh, Anne Hold Ward was designing it, and, you know, and, uh, it, was, it, was, it was one of those things where I, like, uh, that's, that's what my job was, you know. Like, Who were some of the designers when you first came to the city whose work you really, really admired? Well, there were two Filipino designers who were, like, working. Uh, oh, sure, uh, yeah. Yeah, the one was Loy Arsenas, or Arsenas. As, uh, he is now retired from designing. He's a filmmaker now, but he did a lot of, like, he did, you know, he did the sets for uh, uh, Love, Valor, and Compassion, the original sets for Once of this Island, you know what I mean? And, and yes. he ha- happened to be, uh, he, he happened to also come from the island that I, came from and uh his parents and my my father knew his father and so i actually sought him out you know and i i didn't actually meet him until maybe five years into living in new york because he was so busy uh, and then there was another designer his name was his name is eduardo Sicanco. he does a lot of opera and ballet he, uh-huh. uh, he did a lot of like new york city opera he did the original cavalleria rusticana um and uh, uh and i sought him out and he was very welcoming he eventually became my teacher at nyu because he took a p- position there uh for two years years um and then i sought out uh uh annie and Holdward and you know yeah. uh, and uh uh kathy zuber i assisted kathy for uh, a year coming out of grad school um and marty pacladinas and i was in Derek mclean's studio you know it, it was just uh, yeah yeah let's talk a little bit about being an assistant yeah. um w- w- first of all we, we just talked a little bit about how you got involved in assisting. It sounds like it was a lot of cold calling emails and people introducing you. So once you get into the title of an assistant for a designer, what exactly are your functions, duties, and responsibilities? Everything. <laughs> like everything. I, yeah. I, I, you know, and, and I probably come from that um, school of, I, you know, it's different. Like if you're a scenic assistant, you do everything. You do, you know, you take photographs, you draft, you do, you do everything, you make models, everything. And, and on top of that, you also are there taking notes for, during the, the design meetings, you know, basically anything that helps the designer, uh, you're assisting the designer towards the design, right? And, and, and for costumes, uh, you do everything, you, you, from swatching to research to being in the fittings to schlepping stuff from one fitting to the other, you know. At that time, we didn't have Zappos, and so I was like a shoe assistant. 
you know. So, but the shoe assistant is like so crazy because like you would be going to like Peter Fox or like some other shoe store, and you would literally they would only let you out with five pairs of shoes every <laughs> really? time, right? And so you would like schlep shoes, go to rehearsal, fit them on the actors, you know, and take photographs of them, like Polaroids of them. And then go back. To, you know, it was like it was a full, like a, you know, there was like a full assignment of being just like a shoe assistant. <laughs> On musicals, it was hell because like, oh my god, you know what I mean? Like because you go through so many shoes. Um, but yeah, no, you 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 basically do. I I did everything, you know, and and so when I uh, when I uh, have assistants, I always tell them like, you know, I don't. I'm never gonna ask them to do anything that I am not willing to do. <laughs> What Fair. what advice do you wish you could have given yourself, you know, 20 years ago? Knowing what you know now, what do you wish that young Clint would have known? I um, I didn't really take care of myself, sort of, uh, all the other life stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would just, I think the advice I would, I would say is, yes, you know, pursue your dreams. But also part of that is being healthy, um, both physically and mentally. You know, and I think uh, a lot of art students, actually, and a lot of theater students sort of try to neglect that, you know, like the, the, the mental health part of it. You know, uh, there were a lot of years that I sort of like suffered from uh, 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 a lot of issues surrounding mental health. You know? And if you don't mind my asking, how do you keep yourself mentally healthy now? How did, uh, what, what was the, the result of that journey or what advice could you pass on? I think it's just having a great support system, you know, mm. and uh, 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 most schools now, when I was going to grad school at NYU, there was no, um, there was no, uh, uh, there was not like a big uh, sort of awareness of what the uh, the mental health support uh, yes. uh, was, right? And I don't, maybe we also were a little bit shy about that, you know? Mm. And, and, and I would say it's, it's just to really constantly check in with, with yourself and, you know, with, with, your, with your immediate community, you know, and, and, and make sure that you, you're in contact. You, I think part of it, too, was that I tended to be uh, an isolationist. I didn't, you know, I didn't really socialize a lot, and and, and you know, so a lot of like, storm and drum happened in in my mind that di- that didn't contribute to 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 being healthy mentally, you know. And, um, of yeah. course, and 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 you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but so much of designing is a solitary process in the initial stages. Is that correct? I mean, there's collaborative discussions, but a lot of it is you going off and working in the studio. Um, to build models and sketches to then bring to other people to get feedback. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that sort of plays into your worth, you know. It's, it's always about like, well, you know, I think, I think part of what's important is to separate yourself from the work. Mm. You know, I think, uh, and that's hard because, um, you know, I always find it funny when people say, well, don't take it personally. And it's like, well, no, I've actually devoted my life to the theater. Right. So <laughs> Your heart and soul. Yeah. yeah. So it is personal. But, like, I think there has to be a way for you to sort of compartmentalize that so that, um, um, you know, that it's all a process. You know, that it's not. Uh, I think I think one of the things that, and I know this is like, it sounds like a cliche, but one of the things that was revelatory to me that it was, that there was no, it wasn't about a result, that it was about a process. So if that allowed mm. me to make mistakes, that allowed me to actually not put so much of my self-worth on the thing that I was working on that eventually may be rejected. You know, I think uh, that, 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 um, that whole idea that everything is, 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 is a process and that nothing is ever 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 finished you know uh, yeah yeah the, the, to the closing of the show you know the show may close and that final performance is part of that process those actors are still growing everybody's still growing you know? mm-hmm. yeah. let's let's talk a little bit about process what to you is the ideal collaboration uh i think um hmm I think it would be the, the most ideal collaboration is where everybody is. Uh, uh, I, I think it goes back to that whole idea of, of 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 safety and feeling that everybody is that there's an openness to it that no idea is ever wrong. You know, 
I think there, I think that's really the most. I think that there is, mm. there is respect among the collaborators, and that there is really a uh, 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 true. Uh, uh, there really is a, a, an honest attempt in, in finding the thing that you all are looking for, you know, and that, and, and, and I think the most ideal form of that is when everyone sets aside their egos, you know. How did George C. Wolf get into your life? Oh, wow. Um, George uh, is, um, he will probably, you know, will be like shy and like, be demure about this, but he really was sort of a big uh, um, catapulting force in my uh, my life. Uh, I uh, I had my final year of grad school. Um, he and some producers, Bonnie Metzger and uh, Nick Schwartzhall, came to uh, NYU the design show and looked at my work and actually said, you know what, we need a designer for this, for this Jose Rivera play uh, uh, that's happening at the public. Uh, no, no, sorry. Uh, this uh, Anne Garcia Romero play that's happening at the public, and we would love you to do it. And so we, we would love you to meet with a director. And so wow. I did. Um, uh, and I was very fortunate, because I know that doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, and, that's and, uh, a great break. And, and that sort of... Uh, uh, that began my relationship with the public theater, which, you know, it's the theater that I consider to be an artistic home. You know, mm. I've, I've done, oh God, I think over, I don't know, over 15 or 17 shows of the public now. Oh my goodness. What makes the public theater such a special institution? I mean, we, we can talk about it from an audience perspective, but you, you're on the inside. You're, you're, you're one of the people that's creating these magical experiences for us on the outside. So what makes the public theater so special from your point of view? Uh, I think what really makes the public special is, is that it, it truly is, in, in, in every sort of uh, definition, it, it truly is the people's theater. Right, like I feel mm -hmm. like uh, it is not. Um, uh, its agenda is about. Uh, it, it is about presenting so many points of view. There isn't, uh, you know, unlike other theaters in Manhattan or in New York City. I I think the public really walks the walk in terms of, of being diverse both in programming and in staffing. You know, um, mm -hmm. and it. Uh, it is, uh, and I think th that alone makes it truly, truly special. But on top of that, I, I think they take the idea of the theater very, very seriously. And, I, and, and by that I mean they really believe, uh, and this aligns with my whole philosophy, that theater is a catalyst for change. Oh. You know, that, that theater cannot be anything else but a catalyst for change. And Just that, like from your political days, <laughs> I mean, as right, a student. No, no, no. And so it's, it was a no-brainer for me to just like say, hey, you know what, if you guys welcome me, I will set up camp here because I, 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 I love this place. And through every sort of like artistic leadership from George to, to Oscar, you know, I think um, uh, that has, that, the DNA has never changed. You yes. know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, it's always been sort of that thing. I mean, you walk into the public lobby and, you know, you see uh, it is a hub of creativity, you know. And let me ask you, Clint, besides the public theater, uh, do you feel that the American theater scene is doing a strong job in terms of uh, representing what we call political theater? Do you think that the theater is po political enough or does it still have a long way to go? I think it has a long way to go. I think, I, and I think part of that too is the American theater tradition. You know what I mean? Like I think the uh, the Broadway tradition uh, is uh, is wonderful. It's a, it's, it creates a, such a, a huge uh, a sense of community, and so much good comes out of it. But in its essence, it is commercial, um, and so right. uh, uh, it has to. Uh, uh, it has a set of parameters of. You know, it, it has a different set of, of, of rules of engagement. And, and I think that uh, it, it prevents 
itself from being overtly political, right? Um, I think that where we are right now in terms of a country, uh, that is slowly changing. I think people are more sort of courageous to do that. Plus, also, there is a market. You know, there is an audience to talk to uh, uh, that will actually buy tickets um, to see these kind of plays. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done, but I, I do think it's one of the more progressive sort of collaborative, uh, collaborative art forms there, are, there is in, in the country. Are there any contemporary playwrights now that you feel are doing that quite well? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 I, and, I, and I appreciate there are many playwrights, contemporary playwrights that do uh, a political place without being overtly political. They actually mm -hmm. do plays that seem to be coming from a really personal point of view um, that radiates into like into massive political ideas right after seeing it like one of them is Brandon Jacobs Jenkins and I think he's a genius in terms of like, yes writing, writing plays not only about race relations but but America itself uh, 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 Robert O'Hara is a playwright mm -hmm. I work with a lot and he is um, Bold, he tackles things uh, like race and uh, and homosexuality and, uh, and and the ideas of society. You know, uh, uh, there there's so many. Danai Gurira is is a playwright I admire a lot. Linada just phenomenal. You know what I mean? Like there's so yeah. many playwrights. I I think there is uh, there's so many uh, voices that are. That must be heard, you know, and are and are slowly being programmed into, into the mainstream. You know, I don't think we've done enough of that. You know, I feel like uh, uh, um, uh, there are more uh, uh, voices that we can hear. Absolutely. And do you or do you think that there are any issues that have not yet been tackled by the theater scene that you feel should be tackled in terms of diversity? Because um, I know we I mean, we've we've been very lucky. We've had so many stories recently about the African-American experience or the female experience. We're now starting to hear stories about the transgender experience. Yeah. But are, are, are there, is there any topic that you feel it just really hasn't been dramatized yet in a spotlight should be shed on it? I think there are many, you know. Uh, you know, I think there there are so many stories that need to be heard. I think there there's, for me at least, you know. Uh, of course, we haven't heard enough of the African American experience, but like the the Arab American experience has not mm. been heard at all. You know, there was, yeah. there's uh, you know, one or two plays, and I think that's an important. Um, those are important voices to be heard. You know, I yearn for the day when Arab Americans can Arab American playwrights can write plays about being human beings, about you know, about normal or what we quote unquote perceive to be mundane things, and don't necessarily have to write plays about being Arabs. In right. America. You know, right. I think, uh, yeah. I think uh, we have a long way to go until uh, until playwrights of color can write about plays that don't overtly deal with their otherness. Then you know, we still have a way to go. You know, what I mean, we have. How does uh, what about diversity in the design community? Uh, do you do you feel that it's it's doing a good job? It it could do better. Where, where are your thoughts on that? I said we could certainly do better. You know, there are uh, there uh, there is a dearth uh, of uh, designers of color, and um, uh, and and I think you know when directors actually when directors say oh. You know, there just isn't enough. There is some truth to that, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is because we haven't really done a good job in promoting ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is because we actually are not visible, you know. Just by the nature of what we do, we, we work off stage, right? And so if we don't have an idea, and there was a trend in, you know, the late 70s into the 80s where even female designers would code their names so that nobody would know that they were female, right? Yeah, wow. Yeah, they would actually use their first two initials or, you know, change their names. And, and you understand why they did that. You know, they wanted an even playing field. And, and, uh, um, and so uh, uh, going back to your question, like, we still have a, a ways to go. And a part of that is, is attraction, you know, because young artists of color do not see themselves or see examples of, 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 of people who've actually uh, uh, had uh, thriving careers in design, th they can't see that as a possibility for them. 
you know, and it's sort of a chicken and an egg thing. So I think part of the solution is like, you know, for designers of color, and I know this is hard because we try to, it's, it's, it's hard for, for designers of color because we also want to be, we also want to make sure that we can, like actors, that we can do a broad range of work, you know, yeah. like that a right. black designer cannot only just do black shows, you know, and right. that, that, that designer is able to do anything. And everything, you know, and so uh, it's a delicate balance, but I think it is it is incumbent. Uh, and so let me ask you then, Clint, when you get a piece for the first time, what is your process on it? How do you begin? Uh, well, it's I think it's like it's 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 different with every piece. I, here's the thing. I, like, I think that for me, at least, I feel like I go through this weird and I don't recommend this to anybody. I go through <laughs> this weird sort of existential crisis. And this really happens uh, for uh, with most of the shows, you know. Um, uh, and, and I don't know if this is a ha- bad habit that I've formed, but, I, you know, I, of course, I begin with reading the play, reading it, reading it, you know, two, two or three times and then trying to form an emotional opinion on it. And then I just dig through, like, photographs. I go, I go to, I listen to music. I do some things that I, you know, I just, I, I make myself sort of like really wide open to a variety of stimuli. And, and, uh, and through that, I get lost. Uh, I get really lost uh, into like different rabbit holes. Right. And, and I, and, 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 and I sort of need to get lost, you know, to sort of need to marinate in all of this like stimuli. And then, uh, and then sort of hone it back, you know, and then form a really solid emotional opinion of what the play is. Great. So let's take, for example, something that you just worked on recently, which was the production of Six Degrees of Separation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is, I mean, it's, it's a little, I mean, if I were... If I were a designer, I'd be a little bit intimidated because it's it's in the popular conscience. People are aware of it. It's dealing with a very specific time period in which the fashion was very specific. Um, what were your initial reactions to the piece when you first got the text in your hands? Exactly what you just said. You know, ex- exactly. My my initial my initial feelings were fear. You know, I was like, I don't know. I love this play. Uh, I know that when I first saw this play, I was, I was lucky enough to have seen, uh, the Lincoln Center production on a trip here, you know? And so I, um, I, I knew that, uh, there was a lot of, um, uh, emotional baggage attached to it. Not only mine, but other people, you know, I, 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 I was completely afraid of it. I knew, here's what I know. I know that that play changed my life because not only did I, uh, I and I didn't understand it then when I first saw it, but I knew that somehow somebody, when I finished watching the play, it felt like somebody knew my secret. Mm-hmm. Um, being a young gay man of color, I felt like somebody all of a sudden knew my secret, my secret desires, my aspirations, my everything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, uh, how could this white man know about this? You know what I mean? How could he know about this, this psyche, this, this yearning to be on the other side of the, of, of, of the railroad? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, how, yeah. you know, to really yearn, like to really understand and covet that, you know, and, and I'm looking at it from Paul's point of view. And, and then what's so funny is like, so I, I share all of these thoughts with John and we're, I was very lucky because John is still around, you know, he's a strong 80 something year old man and, and still completely with it. And he said, well, I don't know why you're looking at that that this is Weezer's story and just <laughs> it, oh my god it occurred to me you know uh, that he has you know i think maybe subconsciously written a play for everybody yeah right you know and um and 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 that just like created so much uh 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 inspiration like I was like I was so inspired by that whole conversation with John that you know I was like, and I just 
I just dove in. I said, you know, this is a world that's just like, let, let, let's start with the pragmatics, what the source was, you know, it was based on this person's, this real guy's life, you know, and, uh, and the con jobs that he did all throughout that particular decade. And, you know, there's so much extant research of what these rich folk look like and what, you know what I mean? Like there is just so mm-hmm. much and we just dug in, we dug in and we became more and more specific as, as Tripp and I talked about, uh, uh, what these people look like, you know, and luckily Tripp has access to this sort of New York society because he grew up with these people um, uh, 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 that we just like all sought for the truth, you know, uh, and, you know, we, I knew that Alison Janney was already cast and so it, it was about like negotiating what would look appropriate in Alison and all the other actors, you know, and that sort of, it begins with a fear of like, um, uh, of, of, of trying to make sure that you capture what it is that the play is talking about visually, you know, um, and then it, it becomes like a detective story. You just kind of like dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and then you sift, you have all of this information, then you just start, sort of sifting through that and, 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 and making specific choices. When you start the conversation with somebody like, you know, Trip or Sarna, yeah. uh, do you bring in sketches or do you bring in photographs or do you just have a, a conversation first and, and whatever similar words come up you both gravitate towards? How that's, does that process yeah, work? That's actually a really interesting question. It's different with every director. Some directors, directors are very pragmatic. You know, they want, you know, they... Uh, they're uh, they, they're very goal oriented. They want to get something out of the meeting, and so you bring sort of photographs and you know or initial responses. But I tend to not like working that way. I tend to want to marinate in a conversation. You know, uh, yeah. Um, uh, and I think both Trip and Sarna are kind of the same way. We we actually sit down and talk about. We talk a little bit. We both, you know, of course have read the play, and we talk about it and life, you know, and, and those conversations last for maybe two or three hours, you know, and, 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 and I think what's important about that is not what exactly what the content of the conversation is, but it's, it's about how he or she is thinking about it, you know. Um, through this sort of long, this prolonged conversation, I can see their stream of thought, do you know what I mean? How they're processing the ideas that the play poses. And that's important. I think a lot of people don't think about that a lot, you know, that they just want facts, you know. But I think part of this, like, how, how, does, how things move, how thoughts move through minds, how, how, how a set moves through space, how the play moves in time, you know. A lot of that is, is about movement. You know, a lot of a lot of what people don't, or at least designers don't think about, is movement. You know, movement. Like, yeah. And then, then the conversation I have to ask you with working. So, so you come up with an idea of what Weeza Kittred should look like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've discussed it with Trip. You've, I'm, I'm assuming you've compared ideas and colors with the set designer. Yeah, to yeah, ma- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I look at Mark's model. You know, I, uh, I, I actually start with like uh, with costumes. I start with just line drawings and research. You know, and we don't really nail down color. Color usually comes in later, um, uh, and and we study character. And uh, and then and then Mark. By that time that I'm ready to paint, Mark's already in the shop. You know, the set designers are ready right. in the shop. The, the paint colors have been chosen, and we look at that, and, and we look at oh, for this is it's a very this is a very good example. Six degrees is a very um, good example of this because the whole set is red. You know, and it's a very that's going to affect things a little bit, <laughs> right? So I can't really put her in anything red, you know, or, or I can if I wanted to do something really weird and postmodern. Mm. But <laughs> that wasn't what we were trying to do, and so uh, I was very careful trying to avoid that red neither could i use the color green because it would like evoke some sort of holiday um uh, yes. but, but we didn't you know so it, it was very it, it 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 um it it uh it, it follows that system of 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 laying one thing on top of the other and, and then bringing the actor into the process yes that's a big th- that's a big that's a big discussion too because sometimes they actually have a uh 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 
a solid yeah. idea of what the what the, what the what the character looks like. Yeah. And then we and do we and we 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 adjust to that. You will collaborate with them on the if they have ideas or opinions. Oh my God! There's no other way. I don't oh, know. How, I don't know how other people don't do that. I don't know. I mean, I don't. Know. I've never done it the other way where I'm like, oh, you must wear this. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> My creation. <laughs> My creation. <laughs> Wear it. No, I've I've not really uh, experienced. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've not done that in that way. Maybe I should. It'll save me a lot of time. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's it's. I think it's very important. They're the ones who are wearing it. They're the ones who are crafting. You know, they're crafting the emotional life of this right. character. You know, they. Sometimes though, like they say something and it's not really what they mean, right? Mm. Like, so they basically right. say, "Oh, you know, I was thinking she would wear like uh, I don't know this," and I'm not talking about a particular actor. Oh, I I think she would wear like skinny jeans, and you know, and then you're like, "Well, why do you think she's wearing skinny jeans?" And sometimes it's actually not about the skinny jeans; it's the idea of the skinny jeans that mm. is important. Like you know, she she, she she thinks that there's a casualness about her. There's something about her, you know. But the skinny jeans might not be the appropriate garment to wear. You know what I mean? Like if, interesting. Know, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, your, your your production of Sunday in the Park with George, yeah. which is where in Act One you're copying a very iconic image, and then Act Two, you know, you were back in the '80s again, but somehow, you know, th- can you thematically tie in the aesthetic and silhouette from Act Two into the silhouette and aesthetic of Act One? Um, how did that design come about for you? That was actually a really interesting thing because that was about a conversation. Again, going back to the conversation with Sarna, you know, Sarna was like, first of all, we did this production at a gala for New York City Center. Um, we had no idea that it was, you know, that we just, Jake just, you know, I worked with Jake, who's, by the way, one of the most wonderful people you'll ever work with. Um, uh, uh, I had worked with him doing uh, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and so uh, he had this idea he wanted to do he wanted to do Sunday you know but as a concert and so they, the city center was like okay let's do a gala uh, in talking with Sarna about it just for the gala she was really uh, uh, she fell in love with the idea of like uh, how can we make this simple simpler you know how can we make this uh, more streamlined and, and 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 that sort of aligned with with the event of the gala itself. And so I think with when we did the three-night version of it, I had them in suits and in evening wear, something that you would wear at a concert, you know. But in watching those performances, there was something magical about them not being encumbered in some sort of formal, like, theatrical convention where, you know, we define one period and then they change quick change into one another period and then they go back and forth. Uh, there was something direct and uh, and appropriate about that and in a way very modern, you know, and I think that sort of, that word modern um, mm. was uh, a cue to us, you know. So I tried to, when they said, oh, you know what, we're actually going to make, we're going to put this on Broadway and we're going to do a revival. Um, it, the nature of the events are different, but we wanted to capture that same essence of modernity, you know, that mm-hmm. of, of how we can keep it simple. Uh, and yes, the how do we evoke that classic painting, you know, uh, and then go into quote-unquote modern times, you know, because when you really think about it, the, the, the play is, as written is supposed to, you know, when they wrote it in the 80s, they were really talking about their current, time, right? Yes. Um, uh, and so I thought maybe there was a way to do it so that we actually don't do full changes, you know, that, that somehow, uh, uh, somehow they're, they're actually wearing one costume, you know, and that by, by removing a jacket or removing a hat or replacing uh, a belt here and there, we can go back and forth. Right, and and, uh, and still, when the when the visual clues were put together, the audience has enough information to assemble the painting themselves. Right, 
yeah. which is basically what Surat did, right? Which was just like, yeah. I'll just put all of these dots, you know, I'll put all right. these dots. And just, you guys just, all you need to do is step back and you'll right. see. You'll Bingo. Bingo, right? And so that's sort of like, in essence, what what I did. Like, I just, you know, I said, I, I said, I also was like, okay, and he painted with what? 11 colors? And so let's try to see if we can actually do this whole thing with 11 colors. You oh know? my God. Yeah, so we did it in the colors that he did, no blacks. All the blacks were mixes of colors, you know. Beautiful. Oh. Like Jake's suit was a red black. It was never, there was never, there's not a pure black pigment <laughs> stage. Uh, and that's basically what we did. All of those clothes were cut like modern clothes, you know. None of it was like cut like a period clothing. It was, they're, they're all modern pieces of, of clothing. That's incredible. Now, you know, Clint, in, um, we've done maybe about 76 interviews so far. And wow, you are, you are, no, oh, with that, well, thank you. You're our first scenic designer. Is that, that correct? Wow. Yeah. That's we, messed up. We, that's, it's messed up on our end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, we have so many questions for you about the actual, des, the, the scenic design itself, because the first thing an audience sees that really sets the tone of this story is what this set design is going to the be world. quite often. Um, especially nowadays that it seems like show curtains are eliminated. We, <laughs> we, you know, we spend about 20 minutes looking at this visual world, so you're going to be our first clue. Um, I want to ask you, how do you approach the, the design of the scenic elements? I think I go through the similar process of, you know, reading the scripts, uh, you know, uh, digging through research, forming an emotional response, and then actually think about the space, you know. I, I have to think about what the play or musical needs, right? And then I have to think about what that giant envelope is that can hold all of these needs, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, for instance, I don't know, like, uh, hmm. Uh, a musical needs five locales, you know, so it mm -hmm. takes place in her bedroom, it takes place at church, it takes place anywhere. But yeah. I have to think about those specific things, you know, and then I have to think about, well, what is the big envelope? What is the big visual gesture that I can create out of which these smaller locales can, out, can come out of? Right. Yeah. Um, or if it's a unit set, then it's really about like, well, how do I present this thing in space in a and consider its performance value? You know, like indeed. Uh, yeah, can actors actually do a play of this? Right, and live in that world. Yeah. 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 Well. One of the most fascinating set designs that I, I've seen recently is actually one of yours, and we're wow. going to post uh, photos of it uh, for our listeners. And that was the scenic design for Kid Victory. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it was really fascinating. So I'm going to I'm going to explain this as best I can, and please yeah. correct me if I'm doing a horrible yeah, yeah, job yeah, at no, this. No, no, um, it's a new musical, yeah. uh, Greg Pierce, John Kander that's um, in some ways about Stockholm Syndrome right. Um, right. Uh, that takes place in various locations in a young man's life. Yeah. But the entire design was a basement. Yeah. And somehow we knew exactly where we were, no matter where the characters were, even though this, this unit set really never changed for us. Yeah. Um, it was fascinating to me. <laughs> So can you can you walk me through this process? I've never seen a musical take place in one room, even though we're going to twenty locations, and I knew exactly where we were every oh every God. second. I'm glad you actually said that because, like, you know, I mean, to this day, I'm like, oh my God, did that did that set even work? You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like uh, um, uh, so you're right. It is about stock. Home syndrome. It is about, uh, you know, it's a story of a kid who was abducted and um, uh, 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 and uh, sexually molested, and um, and uh, somehow not being able to actually part with that experience. Right. So I think it started with like me, like talking to to John Kander and um, Greg Pierce. Uh, you know, they they were really interested in. Um, a psychological space, mm. you know, and with Liesl, who I've collaborated with a lot, you know, she's one of my dearest friends, and we were all interested in, the, in, in we did not want to be like 
compartmentalizing it like oh here's the the kids living room here's yeah. the, you know we wanted to live in an emotional space and so for me i was thinking well what is this emotional space what is that space if we were going to choose one space what would that be and to mm. me it was the basement where he was being held in right to me it was about that because that's where he he inevitably wherever he he, you know, the musical takes place post the abduction, right? He's, he was actually saved, right? And it goes back and forth. Um, but I think part of it is, is, well, what is that space in his mind that he always has to go back to, you know? And in a sort of messed up way, in a really fucked up way, he felt the most intense feelings in that basement. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever those feelings were that were very close to love, he felt in that basement, right? And so that, to me, was basically that, almost like that that place that magnetizes you, like that place that you just retreat to. It's your, it's your, it's your, it's your, uh, it's your emotional blanket, you know. And right. it's, it's it's that space that you just go back to all the time. You you almost like you you feel yourself being snapped back into that. In, into that place and and to me that was the basement it was the place of danger and it was the place where he felt a lot of feelings conflicting feelings feelings of 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 really to be honest like some some feelings were very close to love as we know it you know yeah and so uh that's how it was and to me it was about like well okay let's look at what these basements look like and i and the research was about finding these basements were you know where a lot of these abductees were being held, were held, you know, and it was, like, fascinating. And, again, talking about, like, you know, like, um, like a, a trip, like, wow, yeah. like, you know, I, 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 I would have, I don't know on what, under what circumstances, like, I would actually, like, oh, let me just find out where she was, you know, being held in. I, you know, I, right. I, 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 it brought me to this, like, world of, like, how the abductors thought about the architecture of the space, you know? Like, this, the sink in that needs to be here, there needs to be a drain somewhere there, there needs to be some sort of source of natural light, and yet it can't be too much. There has to be some sort of maze that goes towards this thing because the FBI will find out. It's like it's it's this kind of like thing, and and that's sort of like where we landed. Okay, so that's sort of that's the the place, and now it's about just working with the director and how we stage this musical. You know that takes place in so many different locations in that basement, and always go back to that basement. Yeah, and so it was about providing. Oh, there has to be a table somewhere. Because we need that scene to happen on a table. And mm-hmm. how can this table exist in this basement? Well, let's look at like basements that have like some random card table on them. You know what I mean? And so like let's oh, there has to be a couch, all right. Let's look at basements that have old couches stored and how that can exist in that space. So slowly it was about you know, sort of inhabiting these with these objects. And then in the final the final moment when we actually there's there's a final number post everything where the kid has a conversation with his dad and he finally breaks emotionally like he feels like there is a breakthrough you know we actually we actually split the set in half like the walls fly out to let some sort of theatrical light in you know to 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 signal to the audience you know hey you're not here anymore you know he has he is slowly going to move out of this like he is he is breaking through this, you know, and sort of that sort of one theatrical gesture, at least for me, was enough to like say, guys, like this is a musical, you know. This is, this it, it was it was such an inventive use of the space, and and totally blew my mind in terms of of what you could do with with a one concrete set in a musical. So I was I was so fascinated by it. Oh, thank you. Um, can I ask you, um, Kevin and I both saw In Transit. Yes. Yeah. Um, the Metro card dress. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> oh, my God, the Metro card dress. Um, we'll have to yeah, post the that Metro one, card, too. The, the Metro card dress, uh, um, yeah, no, uh, Kristen Lopez had this idea that she was, you know, she wanted that character to wear a metro car dress, and I said, "What exactly would that look like?" And she said, "I don't know." And, 
And so she said, it's a dress made out, made out of metro cards. And I know it was about celebrating, you know, it was the fantasy element, celebrating this character, sort of breaking through her mundane, you know, you know in, in quote-unquote reality, she's a booth clerk, right? She's that lady in the booth that does, you know, gives away the, 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 the metro cards or answers the questions, whatever. Um, but we wanted to lift her up and sort of take her out of that and, and, and glamorize her in a way. And that was sort of the idea, you know. And, and, and I thought, okay, we're going to make it out of metro cards, but how can it be um, a flattering? How can it move? And uh, how can it actually um, uh, be glamorous and inventive? You know, and, and, and all of, you know, I went through a lot of like looking at a lot of research, like the American Express card dress that was worn at the Oscars in the mid '90s or the late '90s, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. was, you know, there was that dress, but you know, it seemed so simple to me in terms of like, oh, let's just put all these together. So I. Uh, some in some weird sort of convoluted way figured out how to do the skirt part so it's a it's a deconstructed staircase you know I, yes. I, I fell in love with this idea that oh we go down you know into the subway and, right. and we take these set of stairs and, and somehow if I could do the pleating pattern in, in, in a staircase pattern around her hips it would make her waist look narrower you know, and so that sort of, it started there, and then, you know, it started like there, and it started about like chaining metro cards together and creating some movement when she walked. You know, it was, it was a lot of um, trial and error, but we use about you know seven hundred to eight hundred metro cards per dress. <laughs> you know, we created three dresses for the understudy. Of, you know, there's a double dress for wow. the cover. It was it was incredibly Pretty clever epic. Pretty and epic. <laughs> and look and it looked fantastic. I want to ask you a little bit, uh, Clint, about what is Slam NYC? Oh, Slam NYC is uh, uh, well, it's a group of us. It's, it's an organization dedicated to creating New York City's first recovery high school. Um, uh, I'm I'm in recovery and uh, have been for. 17 years now. Uh, and so uh, 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 a bunch of us, uh, and it's led by Kirsten Johnson, the actress, um, uh, decided that, you know, we are going to start this and hopefully create it in, in, in the next few years. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a hard battle uh, um, to get this uh, high school started. Um, and this is, we, we're basing this whole idea on major cities like Minneapolis and Boston who have um, recovery high schools. The numbers, the statistics are that if a uh, diagnosed drug addict or alcoholic uh, child or teen goes to a recovery high school, they have a 93% chance of graduating. Right, and we know that if they graduate high school, that actually sets them up for life. Right, mm. if they go to a traditional high school, there's a 30 percent chance of graduating. So we're actually talking about a future for these kids, right? Like what if it's it's really about getting past high school, making sure that they get a high school education. Sorry, first. Sorry, your voice. Uh, getting a, uh, uh, it's about getting a high school diploma so that they can be set up for life, you know. That's really, really fantastic, Clint. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's important, and, you know, we need to make, uh, we need to make yes. New York City and, uh, and, and, and the mayor actually, like, you know, we've been lobbying for this for like two years or three years now, and it's, it seems like such a hard, a hard way to, um, a hard time to get, get right. them to, to get with the program. Well, it's, uh, it's wonderful that you're making it happen. Yeah, and we'll make sure to post information onto our site about it so others can check it out because it really is important. Um, what's next for you? What do you got lined up next? I mean, you're always working, but what do you got next? Um, uh, well, there's uh, Once on This Island uh, that's coming up, and then I am doing... Uh, uh, the scenery for mankind, a new play by Robert O'Hara from uh, for uh, Playwrights Horizons. Uh, I'm also doing um, uh, a new play, uh, MCC called Relevance. I'm doing the scenery for that. It's a very exciting new play by J.C. Lee. Um, 
and uh, I'm doing the sorry, I'm doing the revival of um, of Torch Song trilogy that's coming in the fall, oh um, and uh, a new play called Warhol Capote uh, uh, that's going to start at the American Repertory Theater and hopefully come to New York. Great, Fantastic. and then maybe next year you can sleep for a day or so, catch up, and then we'll yeah. we'll get you yeah. back to work again. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Clint, I cannot tell you how much we so appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Yeah. Oh, you it's guys, really thank wonderful. you so much for after inviting me. This has been such a pleasure. Thank really. you so much, um, and hopefully we'll get to meet you in person one day and shake your hand and say thank you. Look forward uh, to it. But until then, we thank you so much for all the beautiful work that you've given us and continue to give us. Kevin, guess what? What, Rob? We now have over 50 iTunes reviews. Huzzah! Huzzah, indeed! We are climbing those iTunes rating charts. That's amazing. How do we climb even higher? Can you take me high enough? Little Rock of Ages for you. Do you know I like that you took it up so high too? You didn't even, you like went right to the tenor place. I was gonna do No Robert Goulet. Like, no. Can you take me high enough? Thanks for coming out tonight. Ooh, and my falsetto there. <laughs> Thank you. And a little Sergio Frankie? Yeah, a little Sergio. It's never over. <laughs> Much like the 24-hour buffet down in the lobby of the Dunes Casino. Me and Sid the Caesar. <laughs> Two nights only at the Mirage. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, lovely Ooh. listeners, this is where you come in. This is how we're going to climb those iTunes rating charts. That's right. Lovely listeners, if you love us, would you go to iTunes? Click on the iTunes store. Search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. That's right. And you can leave comments, too, like Kevin Thomas is a god. Or, Rob, who the hell is Hervé Villachez? Who, 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 who is Hervé Via, uh, via sh- oh my God. I fell for it See? again. You fell for that it. wasn't even the, the script. The man has never done <laughs> one musical in his entire life, and he gets mentioned more than Stephen Sondheim. Right, Sontag. but I love him from James the Bond. Okay, anyway, oh, yes. guys, help us out. Please. please. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.